stop Googling and start listening for the love of wellness. With over 50 years in women's wellness, hosts Sam Leeson and Laurel Crossley, along with a weekly special guest, will explore gaps and issues within the women's wellness industry. If you're passionate about topics affecting women's health, such as sleep, grief, body image, and much more, then please stay tuned. Did you know that March is Endometriosis Awareness Month? Did you also know that there's an estimate that one in 10 women struggle with endometriosis? One in 10 women. And did you also know it takes an average of five years to get a diagnosis and that many who suffer face a substandard quality of care? On today's episode, Dr. Jessica Liu joins us to talk about all things endometriosis. Today's episode is brought to you by Little Wellness Company. She is a naturopath and she's here to talk to us today about endometriosis. It is Endometriosis Awareness Month, and it is a topic that I personally think deserves far more attention than it gets. It is something that afflicts far more people than anyone realizes. And, And it often starts as teenagers, and we then dismiss it because our teenager comes to us and says, I've got this issue going on. I'm in this kind of pain. I'm paralyzed every month. And we poo poo the idea. We dismiss it. And so Jessica, I'm very grateful that you're here and I hope that you can shed some light on this. I'd love to. Yeah. My, you know what, probably I was one of those people because, you know, in my work, I'm, I'm a fertility ND very obsessed with hormonal health and women's health. And that was, that was why I got into this. It was my story. I mean, I was, I remember writhing on the floor every month. It was like floodgates hemorrhaging. And my mother had endometriosis. She was going to be scheduled for a full hysterectomy. And it was through Chinese medicine and through my dad actually became a Chinese medicine doctor later in his career and kind of like reversed it. She was able to avoid surgery but I'm looking back, I'm thinking I was probably misdiagnosed, you know, yeah. all of my own hormonal challenges and fertility challenges. And I was just told to live with it or just go on the pill, just do that. You know, it's, it's, it's not a fix, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm, I'm so happy to be here to, to talk about this because it is affecting more and more and more people. Sure. Um, sure. Yeah, certainly. So- and, and part of the, part of the fertility pandemic too. And I think, yeah, endometriosis is a big part of that. I know nothing. So for all of the people that are listening on here that know nothing, I know nothing. I just went yeah. tra la 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 through life and, yeah. you know, and periods yep. were, were typical. Yeah. Birth control. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Babies like tra la la. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Menopause. But I don't understand the struggles. So what is endometriosis? Right. Yeah. So endometriosis is the condition where in a person with a uterus, you will have endometrial tissue, or we call them implants that really don't shed properly, right? Because month in, month out, we have our rise and fall crescendo, decrescendo of hormones. And that will cause every month that dropping of the lining clean and your, your cycle starts up again, right? So at the beginning of your cycle, once your lining sheds, everything's nice and quiet, it's quiescent. And then your cycle can start. But with endometriosis, sometimes there's there's not that proper shedding. 
And in severe cases, those endometrial tissues can start to grow even outside of the uterus, like in the ovaries or even in the abdominal cavity or even um, on the bladder. And so that can cause, obviously you can imagine severe, heavy bleeding month in, month out, and also incredible pain. What's wacko about endometriosis is that you could have somebody with stage four endometriosis where it's kind of everywhere and no pain. And someone with just mild starting off endometriosis with severe, severe intolerable pain. So pain sometimes isn't the best gauge of how things are progressing. And this is why many women have it maybe their whole lives, their whole reproductive lives without ever being diagnosed. What percentage of women do you think have it? Struggle with this. Yeah. I don't know the stats per se, but I would say in my practice, probably one out of four even. 20%, 25% 20%, 25% could be more. I should look wow. at the stats a little bit more, but in, you know, and, and because also because it's, it's other than symptomatology that the, the proper way to diagnosis is a little bit tricky. The proper gold standard way to assess for endometriosis is a laparoscopic surgery, which is invasive, right? You're poking two holes in the abdominal cavity, digging around in there with camera. It's not, not many people want to go to that step unless it's really warranted. Right. So it's, yeah, it's a tricky one. I, I just, yeah, I, I, you know, my daughter struggled with her menstrual cycle and now I'm sitting here and I'm going, Oh, and she still is, you know? And And I think we normalize that everybody comes up. Oh yeah. I have insanely painful periods. And I just take an Advil or Midol or something like that to manage. And that's the norm. And I agree. It's very common. It's sort of what we've imbibed. We've accepted that, but it's certainly not optimal from a physiological standpoint. It's not not, not optimal. So that was me. I would dread getting my period every month. It was like major flooding fetal position to the point where when I was, I had both my babies, luckily at home with no drugs, they're both born at home. I remember at seven centimeters, I was still eating cookies and cracking jokes because I was like, this is no, I could do this. This is not even as bad as my menstrual pain. No. <laughs> <laughs> what? I was to think about having cookies at any point during labor. But- I remember there were good cookies and I was making my midwife laugh because I'm like, this is so doable. This is like, I've done this my whole life. Wow. I can't imagine because I'm going back to my (laughs) natural birthed child and going, what the heck? I've never felt pain like that in my entire life, you know? And so, wow. Sorry, Sam, I interrupted you. (laughs) And there there are symptoms, right? They're not just because you have, and I have to say, just because you have menstrual pain, women are probably going, oh my God, I must have. No, that's not necessarily the case. There are other symptoms. Um, some of the symptoms might be if you have, okay, if you have pain mid-cycle, random, if you have pain with a bowel movement, rectal pain, if you have pain with intercourse, right? If you have pain during ovulation, if you have very, very low back pain during your menstrual period, these are signs and symptoms. And you have to have not just one right. for the doctor to say, hmm, are we thinking endo? Let's look further. There might be other things. 
that might be the part of the challenge though, right? You may have a bucket full of all of the, 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 the right things ticked off on your list. One of yeah, my yeah. biggest challenges, and I, and it's fun, I, I think of a friend of mine who's, who's teenager is, is battling endometriosis oh, has man. been for quite some time. And I feel as though it's, it's like beating your head against the wall because yeah. it's so hard to get allopathic medicine doctors yes. to take it seriously, especially in young people. Exactly. And, and then you go beyond that and you think, oh, there's a lot of people who still struggle with, you know, I'm grateful. I have a family doctor who very much supports the fact that I also see a naturopath. Perfect. And so always wants me to tell her what was said at one. I love that. So there's so Integrative. much between them, but that's unusual. That's lucky. Yeah, that's lucky. Right. Mm-hmm. And so yep. you think about, you know, a teenager who's telling their parent that they've got this horrific pain and they're struggling, yeah. they can't get out of bed. Now they're depressed on top of it because they're in so much pain. So you, you add a whole other layer of emotional and mental yep. challenges to this. And then their family doctor doesn't take them seriously, won't refer them to a gynae. Yep. Or, or, so, they're, so they're left in this wasteland of yep. feeling absolutely without any recourse what do yep. I do for my child? Because and, and they haven't yet grasped that maybe they should be looking at naturopathic medicine, but our sure. allopathic doctors should be helping. I just, the problem is, I think is, is they're, they're doing what they've been trained to do, which is to treat hormone dis- disruption with a hormone. Right. Like the number one treatment strategy, which I get is symptom management. That's mm-hmm. fine. That's that, that helps. Sometimes you just need to get rid of the pain. However, when you start a birth control pill at, at a, at an age like that, you are, there is risk. So we don't talk about the fact that a birth control pill is considered a class one carcinogen. We don't talk about the fact that if you start a birth control pill at a certain young age, you are actually risking bone loss later in life, cancer, you know? So, so it's not, it's not the only solution and it's not enough. So my advocacy piece is if, if it doesn't feel right, it means there's something going on physically, right? Yeah. You yeah. should, you should have, it's okay to have, you know, a little, you should know as a woman, the flow of your cycle. Sure. I know the minute I ovulate, it's like, okay, family, stay away from <laughs> me. <laughs> Just <laughs> do my thing, be introverted, you know, yin. Yeah. Uh, I want a nest. I want a cocoon right? But I'm not struggling. I'm not reaching for a pain medication, right? I'm I'm moving through it. Right. And that's the way it should be. It should be in balance. That's yeah. And so we we would, yeah, we would look at it more holistically. Like what's the contribution of the hormones that you're exposed to in your environment, in your food, Mm -hmm. the level of inflammation that you have, Mm -hmm. right? So there is evidence that there is a, um, subtle, but very prevalent immune dysregulation that is part of weaving into the presentation of endometriosis. There is something not right at the lining of the uterus. Mm -hmm. It's getting inflamed. This is why endometriosis patients have a much higher risk of miscarriage or infertility. Stuff is just getting in the way. There's too much stuff in there that is inflamed. Do you think, or has the research research, research proven <laughs> that uh, 
um, because we have such high levels of, uh, I believe it's estrogen in our yeah. water system from yeah. us from all being on out. the peel, on yeah. the pill, not the yeah. peel. Yeah. Oh my gosh, I can't talk today. Peel. <laughs> Let me try that again. Yeah. Does is yeah. that one of the underlying causes that you're Definitely. looking at? Definitely, and it's understudied. So I, I really, I love Denmark because they're really inquisitive about these things. And they've actually done studies on sperm health and they were looking at infertility rates. I know we're veering off topic, but they were looking at infertility rates in, in, in the population and the declining pregnancy rates. And they found that there was a correlation between declining sperm health or sperm counts and the hormones in the water. Right. Right. Like this stuff hasn't been, it's just not done here, but for sure those, the exposures we have to our you know, our cosmetics, plastics, BPAs, um, chlorine, you know, any, anything that off gases, you know, when you get like a new mattress, it's like, Ooh, smells so new, you know, all of that are hormone disruptors. Sure. Holy smell. We're exposed to every day. It's just not just about the water we drink. It's the air we breathe. It's the stuff we put on our skin. You know, the fire like retardant chemicals. hundred times. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> About so many of these. Sounds things. very doom and gloom, doesn't it? But I, but that's what I mean. I think now, now more than ever, which I know I'm seeing more in my patients is that patients are becoming their best advocates. They're sure. questioning, they're thinking, you know, and I'm, I'm thinking about that for my daughter. My daughter's nine and she's developing and I'm yeah. going, man, this is early. Mm-hmm. She has a little, she has a classmate who's already started her period. Nine yep. years old. So her hormonal lifespan and her risk of things like endometriosis or breast cancer is going to be higher. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sad to say, but it's something we have to start paying attention to. So speaking of little squirts and, uh, you know, that, that demographic, how do we, from an endometrial, uh, that's the right Health. word, right? Yeah. Health. How do we get our girls and let's call them girls to be proactive because, you know, we still have a predominantly large male practicing physician kind of situation. And as I was spread Eagle showing my young doctor who loves naturopathic (laughs) medicine, by the way, and I can talk to him about everything, but I'm sitting there and I'm going, this is really not comfortable I hear <laughs> that there's a female nurse and he's just like whipping through. And I'm like, Oh my sweet nibblets. So if I feel uncomfortable and I've seen everybody see everything because of having children, how yeah. do we get our girls to feel really confident yeah. and comfortable and be able to present? This is what's going on. You know why this is, so this is my mission. So I founded a company in the midst of the pandemic with um, Nora Pope, who's a fertility care specialist. Uh, practitioner, cycle charting advocate, and a, and a retired ND. She and I founded Fertility Continuing Education. Our mission is to teach other healthcare providers how to teach cycle charting and cycle awareness. And it starts with our young girls. It's like if we can normalize their cycle, normalize the different sensations they're feeling, get them to tune into their mucus days, you know, they're, they're, we call them red flow days and white flow days to make them media friendly, right? Nobody wants to talk about <laughs> cervical mucus, but <laughs> you know, and it's, it's poorly represented. There's all kinds of stuff on Wikipedia on seminal fluid, but nada on cervical fluid. I mean, like, what, what the heck? 
Yeah, we have to change the, this narrative. We have to get our girls to be bold and say, you know, I know my cycle so well that something's off. I have right. six days of brown bleeding after my period finishes. That's a sign of inflammation. Or I spot for seven days before my period starts. Or I have giant toony sized clots. That's something to note and to right. talk about. Because you're like you say, it isn't always associated with pain. And so if it's no. not always associated with pain, then then we need to be able to advocate for our kids. And and to be fair, we also need to be comfortable having those conversations with our kids and having yes. our kids comfortable because it starts at home, right? But there's a Absolutely. lot of people who who badmouth the idea of getting their period who yeah. look to talk yeah, to their talk daughters about, about yeah. their menstrual cycle. Mm-hmm. They're like, Oh, you poor thing. You've got your period. Now Ugh, you'll be saddled with that for the next 40 years. Yeah. We don't, we don't look at it as an opportunity to embrace the things that our, that our bodies can biologically do. And so yeah. therefore starting the conversation about, so if this happens to you, or if this happens to you, or if this doesn't happen to you, then make sure you're talking to me about it because that's normal. That's not normal. We and just, also to celebrate, to celebrate. Right? Like it's a why, why are we not red moon cycling, you know, celebrations. Be. It's a vital sign to me. It's an, as important as your blood pressure or your temperature for a woman. 100%. That's a sign of the internal milieu, the internal environment. So you yep. can get a lot of clues about, I mean, I'm sure you've had that. Like if you've had a crappy month of eating or sure. you haven't exercised or you haven't slept well, your cycle might be a little more painful. might feel sure. a little more congested in there. You know, yeah. your PMS might feel worse. You know, 100%. Sam, I think when we have a ne- our next social gather- gathering, I was killing myself laughing because my family's, you know, a little silly. We're going to be talking about cervical fluid. So I'm going to go around and we're going to talk about it openly with men and women. I'm I'm going to check in with my husband and say, okay, this is the topic of our conversation now is seminal and cervical fluids. (laughs) I'm going to do an assessment. White flow united. (laughs) (laughs) But you're right. We do need to make it more just part of the conversation. Right. If, if it's it. not com- common discourse, then, then it becomes something to be ashamed of. Yeah. And it, there's nothing to be ashamed of with. And I, and I want to say this, this level of awareness will allow for more intentional conception. Sure. Less accidental. I mean, some accidental pregnancies are a blessing, but some are happen when the couple's not ready. Mm-hmm. 100%. So let's, you know, have that intention, have that respect for the cycle. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, we'll Love talk about that. that more with fertility, but endometriosis, again, you can see signs in the cycle chart. A, per- mm-hmm. a woman may not have good crescendo and decrescendo of hormones. So, you know, we know that with endometriosis patients, there's something disordered about their ability to make progesterone. That's why the risk of miscarriage is higher because mm-hmm. we need progesterone to really beef up the lining after ovulation to mm-hmm. really secure implantation, really support that pregnancy. Yep. And there is a little bit, almost too much estrogen in that post-ovulatory phase, right? So estrogen makes things grow, makes tissues grow. And that's, that's what we want, but it has to be in balance with right. all the other hormones. So right. how, so let's say we're having, we're having pain and 
I always like to go to my doctor armed and dangerous. And I don't mean that literally. <laughs> Here's my list. Yeah. And I go through everything systematically. Why is this mm-hmm. happening? What's this happening? And it, partially because of my age and memory, <laughs> because I get so excited when I'm in there, but I go in with a list. So other than the list, because you do, you want to notice, and I love mindfulness for this, where you can tap into your physiological self and yes. really feel this is weird. What is this? Yes. So where would, let's say a young ish woman, let's say she's 15 to 17. Mm-hmm. That's not our demographic for this podcast, but if yeah. there's parents on here, who yeah, why not? It, where do we start with them? So what's the, what's the process? It requires some degree of imaging, at least to start off just without anything else, right? Like maybe it's the pain is caused by a cyst, you know, if they have irregular cycles and they have some other symptoms, it also could be PLS causing some pain. Um, I have patients who have crazy PMS symptoms to the point that they, they really feel like they're just not themselves for those two weeks. So it could be that. So it may not be. So the problem with endometriosis is the blood work might actually look totally normal. Same with a fibroid. You could have a basketball sized fibroid in your uterus and your blood work is like perfect. Yeah. It doesn't tell the full story. So you'd have to go and do a pelvic and transvaginal ultrasound, which is a little bit scary for a little one. So you would really want to go on symptoms alone, but I, you know, be hard pressed to convince a doctor to refer for a laparoscopy for someone so young. So really it's, it's a watch and wait kind of an issue. Whereas with NDs, we don't, we don't really like that. We, we want to be proactive and preventative. So we would look at things like, what, Hey, what's your diet? Like, are you eating a ton of red meat and processed foods and processed sugar and, and trans fats? These are all things that then sort of like fuel that inflammatory fire. Are you not eating very many vegetables, dark leafy greens? Is that missing from your diet? Are you not eating very many fibrous foods? What's your, what's your environmental toxicity profile look like? We kind of go through all of that. So a lot of my moms that come in with their teens who don't want to be there, (laughs) you know, unless, unless they're driven by pain. Right. So I have some girls who really, and, um, and so we work on things like getting the getting your bowel movements right. There's so much new research now. This is where I, it actually gets me really happy because I geek out on this stuff, right? It's a huge <laughs> relationship between our gut microbiome and the endometrial lining. Okay, like they have found fecal bacterial cultures in, I'm not saying that poop goes in there, but I'm saying there is 20, 20 to 25%, maybe more of women who menstruate have something called retrograde menstruation. So it kind of actually flows back up the other way. And that is one of the risk factors for possibly seeding endometrial tissue down the road. Mm. And if your milieu, if your terrain is imbalanced, if you have more kind of bad bacteria, I know I'm simplifying this, even more bad bacteria than the good, then the terrain, it's called the estrobolome the estrogen-related microbiome that's sort of hanging around in your endometrial tissue is going to be imbalanced as well. It's also going to be inflamed. So they've been able to culture all kinds of bacteria in the endometrial lining that will set off that inflammatory storm. 
Now, I hate to do this, but we you're just getting going and I have to cut you off because we are out of time. <laughs> Stay tuned. So we'll have you back. <laughs> so I'm going up the chute and I'm like, I'm hanging now. So just okay, can I leave you with at least yes. a silver lining is that I, you know, we, I have had patients who've had severe endometriosis and treated. It's not necessarily something we can cure, but it is certainly something that is treatable with a more holistic preventative strategy. So there is hope. Awesome. Maybe we'll talk about that in part two. Part two. (laughs) So Jessica, let the uh, viewers, you see, look what I'm doing. Let the (laughs) listeners know how we can get in touch with you. Um, Probably the easiest is to shout out on Instagram. So I'm at the fertility ND and my clinic is Lakeside Natural Health. I have a little clinic in Port Credit, uh, Mississauga, and we treat all kinds of women's health stuff. We love it. Thank you, Jessica, for joining us today. Thank you so much for for joining us. Thanks for listening to the Boobs, Bods, and Brains podcast. If you would like to learn more about us or our past episodes, then check us out on Instagram. Click the link in our bio to visit our website to learn more about sponsorship opportunities. We are always excited to have you offer different show topic ideas. If you have a suggestion, reach out via Instagram or our website. And as always, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the Boobs, Bods, and Brains podcast and invite all of the women you know.